Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John. With me today is a very special guest who finally, finally picked this movie. It's Roland Rusinek, everyone. Hi. Hi. What do you mean, finally? I love this movie. This is my childhood. I think this might be the first movie I ever watched all the way through. Well, so, okay, so today we're here to talk about The Wizard of Oz, but I'm just like... 250 episodes in and nobody picked it oh yeah 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 yeah. that's more so the reason and then we've got um let me do a little background and then i want to talk to the audience for a hot second okay so wizard of oz came out in 1939 okay so the final product (laughs) the screenplay of the final product that we see is by Noel Langley, Florence Ryerson, and Edgar Allan Wolfe. Music by Harold Arlen. Lyrics by Yip Harburg. And the final product was directed by Victor Fleming. Now, I say, I put the emphasis on that because there is a long list of uncredited writers and directors involved in this because... We'll get into it. Uh, but don't and, you feel like the history of the making of Wizard of Oz should be like a mini series in and of itself? Because yes. so much, like it's more than we could possibly get into in this podcast. Yes, yeah. Like I feel like there are podcasts dedicated to yeah. the history of it. Honestly, I follow a couple people on TikTok. Tori, the the Oz the vlog. Oz vlog, yeah, She's yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not even getting to touch that because this lady <laughs> does it like so well, and she knows so much. Um, And according to IMDb, young Dorothy Gale and her dog Toto are swept away by a tornado from their Kansas farm to to the magical land of Oz and embark on a quest with three new friends to see the wizard who can return her to her home and fulfill the other's wishes. Okay, so being that this is episode 250, it's another milestone episode, everyone, and I don't know if Roland, you know this, but with when it comes to a milestone, I like to break the rules a little bit of the <laughs> podcast, go a little longer, do things a little differently. So Roland knows this, but you, the audience, mm. do not. I reached out to former guests, potential future guests, and some special guests to see mm. what The Wizard of Oz means to them. Because my theory is that The Wizard of Oz is probably the first live action musical movie that everyone sees. Just because it's everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I totally agree with you. So throughout the episode, you will we will be cutting away to th- these, you know, special guests, if you will, and they're going to be giving testimonials as to what the Wizard of Oz means to them. And I want to start with Roland to see what this movie means to you. Oh gosh. Well, this picture was I remember distinctly watching this movie in the living room of I'm an only child and my parents like plop me down in front of the TV to watch this and on on the you know old tube TV because I'm old and being terrified of the witch not being able to get through it because she was so scary and I was a very little probably you know four five maybe even some, well around that age I don't know and then once I was able to like get over my abject terror of the scary witch um I w- that it was the first movie I could watch all the way through and it's just like 
embedded in my DNA, I think. And as a musical theater performer all my life, you sort of realize that there are so many things that you reference as a performer that these people in this movie did first. Mm -hmm. Line readings, stylistic things. And then watching it as an adult, I see how great they all really were. You know, that they the, their acting was so solid and so just... Gr anyway, I, it, it is a... To me, it's like a fundamental, I agree with you, fundamental live action musical that everyone sees or m almost everyone sees that has access to, you know, television and or uh, video streaming early, early on in their life. And it's like the first musical, first childhood memory I had was this. My name is Alyssa Fox. I play Elphaba in Wicked the Musical on Broadway. And um, Wizard of Oz has always been a very important story to me. Um, I, I don't know of very many people who grew up in America that aren't familiar with the story and the characters and even the music. Um, Somewhere the, Over the Rainbow is one of the best songs ever written, in my opinion. And um, I actually, it, it holds so much meaning for me. I sang it for um, my grandmother's uh, service after she passed a long time ago, and it has always held such a special place in my heart. So that's why Wizard of Oz means a lot to me. Hey, I'm Jim from Film Rage Podcast. The Wizard of Oz means everything to me. This is the first film that I ever saw in cinemas, and it was an experience that I went with my parents and the first time I saw it, my mind was completely blown. The color, the spectacle, the absolute majesty that is this film, to this day, is still my favorite film. I continue to watch it every single year, and I will probably continue to watch it until the day I die. All other movies try to claim that they are the best movie ever made, but they will never be The Wizard of Oz. Hey, it's Kevin from Words of the Witches podcast. John asked me to talk about The Wizard of Oz, and it's super special for me. It was the very first movie I ever saw. I received the 50th anniversary VHS tape in 1989 when I was two, and it was an obsession from there. I made Wizard of Oz scrapbooks. I remember going to Wizard of Oz on ice. I would collect everything I could think of, all the Franklin Mint stuff, and I cut out pictures from the magazines and put it on my Christmas wish list. It's a huge staple, and the movie means something about heart and home and what matters to you and who your friends are. It's a beautiful movie, beautiful message, and, you know, the music, and it, it sparks a lot of what I do now. Um, so with the singing and the, the fantastical nature of what my interests are, The Wizard of Oz started that, and it will always be a staple in my life to, for years to come. Hi, I'm Ashley Lynn Evans, AKA John's Riverdale correspondent, but we're not here to talk about Riverdale today. We're here to talk about The Wizard of Oz. And I gotta say, The Wizard of Oz was the very first musical movie I ever watched as a child. And I was obsessed with it. Like we're talking favorite childhood movie. I had a Dorothy dress. I wore it around my house. I sang over the rainbow daily. I had this um, cow, like it was this decorative cow that my mom, had as like a decoration that I carried around the house with me and called it Toto. I, I was a fun child. Uh, but even in my adult life, people get me <laughs> Wizard of Oz trinkets here and there. Like I have a snow globe that says over the rainbow and I have this locket from my best friend, Haley Beauregard. 
with ruby slippers and it says you've always had the power my dear you just had to learn it for yourself and i think it's really important to remember that when you rise to your full potential you can do anything hey there film fans i'm jeff i'm dave i'm john and we are the love of cinema podcast congratulations on your 250th episode john thank you so much for having us on to discuss reefer madness we had a blast wizard of oz to me means the birth of david lynch because he's so obsessed with that movie and i'm obsessed with david lynch dave what does it mean to you it means almost nothing to me because the first musical i ever saw was little shop of horrors that should give you an idea of how fucked up my children come on dave okay (laughs) to me i'm just happy that the original tin man uh is still alive um because otherwise it would be really fucking hard to go on but his lungs have so much metal in them and um seen this movie happy 250th episode (laughs) John, just to keep you, yeah, congratulations. Have a drink (laughs) on us, buddy. See you guys. And and it's a, it was a joy to get to watch it again because I, I see it with totally new eyes now. Honestly, I didn't write anything down. Me neither. So we're gonna have fun riffing. I have notes that I want to talk to you about, but but I didn't like not. I do copious notes. I literally just wrote bullet points I wanted to touch because there are things I wanted to mention, but like... I was... Because to me, I was thinking of this question because obviously I need to answer it because I'm the one asking everyone else. (laughs) There's just something about her entering into Oz that always... That I always use that as a reference to Mm -hmm. when I'm like going to someplace new or someplace Mm -hmm. I don't visit a lot Mm -hmm. where I'm looking around with, you know the wonderment that uh, Judy Garland, Dorothy Gale has where she's just like, wow, this is like a a different land. She's used to Kansas. She's used to farm. So to see all the colors and to see magic happen, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, there's just something about it that like, it, it fills me with childlike wonderment. You and, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was gonna say it, it it makes me feel like that too. And I don't know if listeners will remember, but like Greece was more my movie growing up as a kid, but there was always something about the Wizard of Oz oh, yeah. where um you know it's it's about you you uh you have the tools at the ready. Like whatever you're seeking, you already have it. There's something about that, there's something about, you know don't take things for granted and all, all the themes that you could pick apart from this movie. I think that's what is still in me. And like rewatching this, I was just filled with such a sense of joy that I was like, I can't write. There's nothing like I, I got nothing. I know. (laughs) Yeah. I know the history of it because I've looked up things and I follow the Oz blog as well to learn new and specific things like about how, uh, L. Frank Baum came up with the Yellow Brick Road itself is very Oh my god, I think I just watched that too. I was like, what? Yeah, there's a there's a place in New York, I want to say, in like New York State, upstate New York, that they Wasn't have... Wasn't it his college or his school or something? That something was... like that, or oh. he was there. He just showed up to this town in New York where mm-hmm. there was bricks laid out that looked yellow. Yellowish, right? Yellowish. And he didn't show it like you see them. You're like, oh, it's a little like yellowy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're, and it's so fascinating. Also, well, I think the story was that someone he had said, "Where do I get to whatever place?" And they're like, "Oh, we'll just follow the yellow bricks." Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, knowing that this is the little movie that almost never made it. Oh. like I said at the top, there was so many 
directors and writers attached mm-hmm. to it just because like they were trying to adapt it and, and this is MGM right yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you could find videos of Judy Garland in different uh, screen oh, tests and costume and weird tests and wig she's wearing at one point you're the, like what the heck? yeah and they I mean she was what 19 at the time that she filmed oh was this? she I didn't realize she was that old I thought she was younger yeah she was she was 16 17 years old when they filmed this and right. I th- and I believe they upped the age of Dorothy because of that. Because Dorothy in the book, I believe, is like twelve, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so, wasn't wasn't Shirley Temple a, the original choice? And then they decided to not use her. I believe it was down to the two of them. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and because of how Judy sang "Over the Rainbow," I think was what solidified. Absolutely. Like, let's just start there, please. Yes, because. As a grown man who has done musicals for almost 30 years now, more than 30 years, I got watched that the other day and I watched it again last night and my jaw hit the floor mm-hmm. because it is perfect. Yes. She was perfect. Like, and I'm sure they did a thousand takes and I'm sure somebody coached the hell out of her on set or on the studio or wherever they did it. But the fact that that's the take they got and that's what they ended up using you it's so flawless. I also want to give credit to Toto in that scene. Cause like working with animals, you've worked with animals before. Mm-hmm. It is difficult. And that dog was amazing. That dog was fantastic. He is probably there. Like I have a few like little notes about Toto a couple times that I just go, Oh my God, I love him so much. Like what rewatching this. I silly little things. I don't even remember the last time I watched this movie just on my own, but yeah, like same. rewatching I don't it. Know. Yeah. I literally finished it before we started recording um <laughs> watching it though i really appreciated toto mm-hmm. because i was just like toto knows more than what's going on and i don't think anyone really talks about that as much i think you're right and here's there is a whole philosophy of writing uh, called the hero's journey that yes I, yeah okay you know a little bit about it but i studied there's a book called the writer's journey chris vogler is the writer a uh, philosopher person that wrote this sort of like pamphlet that the Disney company used way back in the eighties to structure their mo- storytelling. And it is based on the structure of the wizard of Oz, but also the Joseph Campbell hero's journey. So, I mean, I'm telling you, there are philosophies attached to this film mm-hmm. and Toto frequently comes up as like a secret master, like, like a, like a part of her subconscious that knows more. Yeah, and, and guides her because you start watching the actions of that character, the to- the Toto character. Put I'm putting it in quotes, and you see he actually initiates things. He makes stuff happen. Um, if he doesn't run away, she never like decides to go see Mister Do- uh, Professor Marvel. You know, like if he doesn't get away from the witch's castle, then the friends don't come to her. You know, like it's like. He is the the linchpin actually yes! of the whole movie because he does the so reason, much he causes reason, so much. The reason why Miss Gulch Gulch yes Miss yeah, Gulch, Gulch is trying to take away Toto is because he attacked her. Well, she says she did. He did. I don't know. We yeah, never see even, it. I don't know. Well, even Aunt Em is just like he's nice to people who are nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, you you get it. I mean, Toto is is truly a fantastic character, and I and this is what I don't know, but I wonder what it's if he's like that in the book, I want, if the book uh-huh. makes him that, uh, you know, the books, I should say, because he's in all of them, apparently, like he's always with her. 
So oh, as far I as I know, honestly, yeah. I've never read those books. I've Me read either. other media based yeah. off, and like as, we've talked about it on the podcast too. Like there are other movies that are follow this structure. You know, yeah. where Labyrinth is one. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot. Uh, yeah, basically anything that Jason Kerr did on this. <laughs> uh, he, uh, we talked about how like you know it's it questions whether it's real you have to go on the hero's journey you have right. to learn a lesson right. and i don't know there's just something about the ending of this movie too where it was wrap it up you know wrap it up real fast and i i like though that in the wizard is still a hawkster still a uh you know yeah he, yeah. He, he's, a con man. Yeah. he's a con artist but a kind he's not a bad person he's just you know yeah Oh yeah, he's he's definitely. I mean, you get it at the at the beginning when he's Doctor Marvel or Mister Marvel. Professor Marvel, yeah. Professor mm-hmm. Marvel, mm-hmm. um, when he's looking through her bag and her little uh, her basket. basket. Mm-hmm. But then also at the end when he is basically telling the friends that you've had what you were looking for the whole time. Yeah. Here's a here's a diploma. Here's a clock. Here's a pin. To show, to represent your, to be a token for your thing. I was just like, this is super fast. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was something I noted as well, that I feel like this movie does, like it hit, it hits all the plot points very quickly. It, it yes. even in the beginning, you know, like we're getting to it quick, like it, and, and it's an hour, 40 minutes, you know, it's the beginning of that, of that, like under two hour children's movie you know, structure that Disney capitalizes on and brought it down to 80 minutes, you know, uh, but 140 minutes is, I mean, uh, an hour, 40 hour minutes. 40. Is, yeah. Hour 40. I mean, um, is quick and a lot happens. So it's like at the end, you can tell they want to finish it because we've sat in the world of Oz a lot. Like you, you watch the Munchkin land sequence and you go, this goes on. There's a lot yes. of set up the world, which is fine. And I don't mind it because it's fantastic. But then when you get to the city of uh, Emerald City, we're sitting in this very long time. And then we have this whole like song about the lion saying he wants to be, he's going to be the king of the forest. And you're like, well, this is my question. Why did Bert Lahr get an extra song and the other two guys didn't? Was he a bigger star? Do we know? I don't actually know. I feel like he was a bigger star than the other two. I mean, it's amazing. Again, not complaining about it, but it just made me go, there must be a reason why he has this extra song. Well, so- uh, Jack Haley is the second actor to play the Tin Man because the first one, Buddy Epson, got sick. Yeah, uh-huh, because of the the makeup, um, they were using actual tin, I believe, or something like that. Lead, I think. Lead, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a lead, like a lead powder, like it was. I mean, there's so many things that mm-hmm. I could I could look up on IMDb, mm-hmm. but like, there's just there's, there's no there's no time. I, and honestly, when you when we sort of agreed that I was going to do this one. I was like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then once we were like ready to schedule the recording date, I got really intimidated because I was like, this is like the grandmother of all music movie musicals. Like, how can I bring anything to the table that's other than I love this movie and I don't know what to say about it? Yeah. But there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of questions I have. And, you know, I, I've always wondered this. What happens if she took the red brick road? I mean, as a kid, I always thought, well, what's the where's the red brick road go? Because you see in Munchkin Land... Mm-hmm the two bricks and it's just like what happens if she were to go 
down the other brick road. Or, you know, I've read, I've been reading other things where they try to like twist the story in a way to make mm-hmm. it a little different. There's some, there's a whole, there's a lot why, there's a whole YA uh, novel series called Dorothy Must Die. Dorothy came back to Oz, corrupt in magic, and another girl from Kansas has to go to Oz and defeat her. Oh, okay. But like in that, Dorothy, the friends, and Glinda are all villains. And I, it makes you look at things a little differently in yeah. this movie. Yeah. Because like, I feel like Glinda might be a villain in a way. Okay, so in the beginning of the movie... Glinda instigates the entire conflict by giving Dorothy the red slippers without her asking for them. She just puts them on her feet magically. And you're like, bitch, you an asshole. Like, <laughs> really? And then she spends the entire movie trying to get home. And then and then she conveniently says, but you've always had the power. You just weren't ready to know it. Fuck you, lady. Why didn't you tell her from the beginning? Look, these shoes are magical. And as soon as you can figure out how to get home, the power's in the shoes, right? But, you know, you're going to have to do that on your own. She could have just told her. But no, no. She waited till the end. You've always had the power. Really? And it's Fuck. also, but it's also interesting that Glinda's the only one that is not in Kansas. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. There I is no wondered. equivalent to her. Yeah, which, which in the stage musical, they make NEM the Glinda. That's how they cast it. Oh. But, but in my mind, I always ask that question too in the in the film. I mean, I think it has more to do with the fact that Billy Burke was ridiculously famous and the wife of Florence Ziegfeld. And she probably was like, hell no, I'm not looking dowdy. I'm a glamour lady. I'm looking glamorous. I'm not doing that. <laughs> That's what I think it was. But I could be wrong. Hi, my name's Mary. And I'm Steven. And we're your hosts of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. Follow us uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. We love every now and then visiting John on his podcast. And he's posed us with a question, Mary. Uh, Wizard of Oz, what does that mean to you? It is one of those musicals that is so iconic for so many different reasons. Was introduced to this so early on in my in my theater career. Truly, when I was like six years old. You can never unsee Ruby Slippers and a house falling on a witch. Like, there's no, there's no way you can unsee that. And I was obsessed with this like L. Frank Baum's books like his entire series if you're unaware this is like a huge series Mm -hmm. I was so entrenched in all of this Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz is actually my favorite book from this screw the Wizard of Oz I love that book (laughs) it was one of the first musicals I was introduced to but this was around the same time I was doing like Mary Poppins and Mm -hmm. even Knobs and Broomsticks I love the history of the show I love the messages this show has and it definitely was it probably assisted in getting me into musical theater so absolutely I couldn't agree more. Thanks, John, for a little shout out. Thanks for letting us come on. Thank you, John. And uh, we hope to talk to you soon. Hi, my name is Sierra Ryan, your Gene Kelly and old Hollywood movie musical expert. To me, Wizard of Oz was one of the first times uh, as a very young girl that I was able to see visually the creations that I had, I had only either read about or been read to about by my, my dad. Um, he read to me Wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland, and Wizard of Oz was one of those first times I was able to look up and go, wow, Dorothy and Glinda were only in my imaginations before, but now I see them alive. 
and it was one of the probably the first movie musicals that I ever seen so that I could be like wow people sing when they're emotional and have thoughts that can't be described in any other way but song so wow that was a that was a thing that uh, continues to this very day um, in my professional uh, career so Wizard of Oz is means a lot to me Hello, I'm Kendra, the host of Crushgasm, the podcast that's like a sleepover where we dive into the most notable crushes from guest lives, and I'm shocked no one has talked about Dorothy, Glinda, or that Silver Fox, the Tin Man, but anyways, I've never actually seen The Wizard of Oz, but what I love is that at this point it's so ingrained into the fabric of pop culture that one doesn't need to. The story translates so well elsewhere, which is how I first became aware of it as a kid watching The Muppet Babies. So shout out to Kids Television for introducing the classics in a way that made Oz memorable to me via Kermit and Gonzo. And congrats John on 250 episodes. Can't wait to hear what's to come in the next 250. And I also want to talk about watching it. So I watched it again last night because I had questions that I wanted to like examine some scenes. And I always get back to the influence that the musical, the book and the musical of Wicked have on my subconscious now when I watch this, because Mm -hmm. I watched Margaret Hamilton and as an actor, she's sublime. She's, she plays everything so honestly and such pure intention, but you watch Miss Gulch and she's, legitimately upset she's like this little dog fucking bit me and she's trying to just she's a karen obviously but she's trying to you know just make her life a little easier and then and then nem drops this whole thing about like and you might and you might own the entire or half of the of the town but i still can't say what i think of you and i was like oh wait so she's a rich woman uh-huh. Why is she riding a bicycle? At um, the turn of the century. At the turn of the century. My God. Because I believe this is a period piece. Yeah, sure. Because at the top of the movie, they have that dedication to like all of you for the last 40 years who have loved this story. And, you know, it took me forever to figure out what that meant. And it was like, because the book came out oh. at the turn of the century and this is 1939. So it's almost 40 years that the book has been in the zeitgeist of the American public. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, but then you watch the movie, the 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 Oz the, in the uh, the color part of the movie, the Oz part of the movie, and you watch the Wicked Witch playing like I need those shoes, and you've killed my sister. Right, she's I, just out for revenge, and then she wants her shoes back. So yeah. she says shoes. So it's sort of like I I don't I mean it's it's interesting because it's very clear objectives, but you go yeah I mean. The conflicts is interesting because, you know, we see Glinda as this beautiful, I'm a good witch. Are you, though? Are you, though? Because you kind of caused all this, lady. Yeah, and you never really understand, like, why Dorothy went to Oz. I mean, you do because it's it's her imagination and she's Mm -hmm, everything. mm -hmm. But, like, realistically, what brought her to oz like there was no mention of oz beforehand and like you watch the opening sequence and she's you know she's also reacting justified because she's nervous she's like hey they're gonna take my dog away and everyone's not paying attention to her and they're all Mm -hmm. like gotta Mm -hmm. gotta do farm chores and everything and she's like no no please listen to me yeah so is that why she runs away no she runs away i mean uh, oh, uh, also to save Toto, but like because nobody listens to her. Uh, uh, so that's interesting because I watched it again just for that kind of that plot, the plot issues that I was curious about because I kind of go by me. 
And I really feel like if you just watch and listen to what she says and does, she is upset that that Miss Gulch has taken Toto. Toto runs away from Miss Gulch on when she's on her bike. Miss Gulch doesn't know that he's run away. And he jumps through the window. And her first reaction is, you're back, you're back. Oh, we've got to run away because they're going to come for you. And so she runs away. Again, because of Toto, everything sort of is instigated by Toto and Glinda. Um, it's, it's really interesting. Because, maybe they're working together in cahoots. Maybe they're working together. Because <laughs> the motivation, I think, is, you know, certainly escape because I want to save my dog. And, and oh, by the way, they will, they will never notice because they don't care. You know what I mean? I think, but I think that's a secondary thought, I think. I'm always so taken with how emotionally accessible Judy is in this role. Mm-hmm. You know, how she just goes there. Like she's able to go there. And I also wonder how many takes it took, you know, how did they, you know, did they pinch her to cry? Like, how did it, she get there? Because it's so emotionally open all the time. She's so great. It's, she really was wonderful in this role. Hi, I'm Battles. Um, you can hear my voice on such podcasts as uh, Ghost Wax and Windfall. And I just wanted to say that The Wizard of Oz is special to me because it was one of the first musical theater shows I did, like in the theater. Um, and obviously, growing up watching the movie version uh, just kind of solidified my love for the genre. Obviously, every little girl loves the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Um, It's just a a warm song of hope and promise and yearning and wanting. It's kind of the ultimate I want song. Um, So yeah, uh, just something truly special and nostalgic from my youth. And congratulations, John, on 250 episodes. Hi, my name is Mackenzie Kurtz, and I am currently playing Glinda in Wicked on Broadway. The Wizard of Oz holds a very special place in my heart because it's one of the first shows that I did as a child. I think I was maybe nine or 10 years old when I was cast as a munchkin and an Ozian at the Fox Theater in Atlanta. So it was a professional gig and it was my first professional show that I did. And my parents would drive me into the city every day to go to these insane rehearsals with all of the other children playing munchkins and Ozians. And I remember my friend Ben, who was taller than me, also got to be a flying monkey and I was really jealous. And the only reason I wasn't one was because I couldn't fit into the costumes. Um, But I remember it changing my life because even at nine years old, I was like, wow, I really want to do this. And I loved being there for hours on end. And I loved the story itself. And then later seeing Wicked was just further inspired and had an even greater appreciation for The Wizard of Oz. So, yeah. Hi, I'm Rebecca Edmonds. The Wizard of Oz means so much to me. It was the very first musical I was ever in when I was seven years old. I was bit by the theater bug and I have been performing ever since. I have always connected with the character of Dorothy because she follows her dreams, she goes after what she wants, and she leads with love. First and foremost, she leads with love and kindness, and I think that is the enduring message of this movie, is to lead with love, no matter who you encounter, and the world needs a little bit more of that these days than ever.
Hi, I'm John Flynn from the podcast Jewel Queens and the Celebration Celebration. And The Wizard of Oz to me is just one of those movies that just reverberates so deeply through culture. It's I don't know if it was the first movie I saw, but it's one of the first movies I saw. I loved it as a kid. It was also the first show I did in community theater and it changed my life and there are honestly people from that show I'm still friends with today years later. It's just such a beautiful story. It's so relatable. I also just saw a documentary called Lynch Oz, and it's just all these different filmmakers talking about how The Wizard of Oz inspired David Lynch, people like Don Waters and Karakasama. It's great. It's such an iconic, seminal text, and it's a beautiful story that I think will live forever. I think when movies are sort of done and there's some whatever new media or way that we uh, are entertained, people will still watch The Wizard of Oz because it's a classic. Hey, I am Jordan Litz. I'm the current Fiero on Broadway in the show Wicked. And uh, here talking about The Wizard of Oz and what it means to me personally. One of the cool things about Wizard of Oz is that it um, was the genesis of the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And Somewhere Over the Rainbow is the song that made me decide that I wanted to pursue music as a profession. I saw... Uh, Bobby McFerrin performed that song um, in Modesto um, back when I was an engineering major in college. And I remember sitting in the audience watching him perform and thinking to myself, what am I doing as an engineering major? This is ridiculous. I want to, I want to make people feel the way he's making me feel right now, inspired and lifted up and completely moved by music. And so um, the next semester I switched to, to music and I, it was all because of that song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. I've actually, I don't think I've ever seen the stage version of this. Have you? Uh, I've seen video, like a recorded version. Like a, a recorded stage version of it. Because um, I, I... Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I did see it. I did see it at, at MSG because of Christmas Carol. So they were doing it at MSG. I think I got to see Roseanne. I didn't see Eartha uh, play the Wicked Witch. And it was just very forgettable. Like I struggle with these stage adaptations of iconic things because you go, I don't see why we're doing this. It just spent all time comparing. I couldn't enjoy it. I feel like it was the movie first and then it became the stage version. Well, there is a stage version of it that existed before the movie that is not this score. It was an operetta in the 20s. Actually, there was more than one version, actually. Uh, none of these songs were in it. This, These are all songs original to the film. because Because like we said earlier the 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 book and the story was in the zeitgeist everyone knew the the, the wizard of oz books they 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 knew the story the story already so there was a lot of stage adaptations but the one you're talking about is basically the stage version of the movie which yeah. i think the rsc first put together um somewhere in the late 80s early 90s i have a copy of the score of the pdf of the score in the book and it's restored things that were cut yeah like the jitterbug yeah and also the rest of like king of the forest is there's a because the king of the forest is a longer song that they cut for time and also just because it's funnier the way it is now um and there's just other like and the reprise of somewhere the rainbow that is like you it's it, they filmed it for the movie but then they just sliced it out um you uh, Apparently, you can still hear it. Yeah, it's on a record. I, I've heard it. It's on, on the 
deluxe recording. I think I have it. So the Over the Rainbow reprise is supposed to happen uh, when she's in the Wicked Witch of the West's castle. And, and she's it's before the friends basically come and take her out. And she's looking at the big the uh, the crystal ball and it, it leads into the witch going, Annie, I'm frightened. I'm frightened. The most terrifying moment. She it's all that also just horrified me as a child. I was like, oh, my God. So um, the witch horrified you. What about the monkeys? I've I know that the flying monkeys Jesus. are also sweet Jesus. Well, at that point, you're like, this is just like a portal to hell. Like the witch was terrifying. And and I remember being so horrified when she like was on the top of the house in the forest and threw the fireball. I I had I couldn't I couldn't get beyond that for the longest time. And then once I finally got beyond it, I was like, these monkeys, the winkies all look like her. They have her nose, their same skin tone. Like, what is this? It was well, you know, okay, that's now that's I just a... watch it with great joy and glee because I I just imagine all those actors having the best time playing those parts, but still. That's the thing, too. I remember the Winkies being more blue. Okay, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so go. I watched this on Max. I don't know how you watched it. So I watched it on Max, and then I watched it on another service that my, my friends curate, uh, just to see if it was any different. I went and looked this up because I swear to God, I said that front, the top of the movie, in my mind, was black and white. And when I watched it, it was sepia tone. And I thought, this can't be right. This is wrong. What did they do? And I went and I looked it up. And in fact, when it was broadcast on television, when I was a kid, they broadcast it in black and white intentionally. Oh, uh, so it was, like, a, it was actually sepia tone. It was always sepia tone. Okay. And it was broadcast because it was easier for the broadcast. Huh. <laughs> so something, because remember, this is not cable. This is... Well, I think probably was cable too, but, uh, but it was just when, you know, it was easier for the televisions, it, you, you, the complexity of the, of the, uh, re, uh, like reproduction of the color on all the old screens. It was a thing. And then in 89, so, so the print was black and white and then it was color and the color wasn't true color. It was the best they could do. And then when they restored the print in 89, that's when they went and cleaned it all up and found the true colors because the Winkies to me were blue as well. They were bluish. They were green. Bluish. Blue. Yeah. They didn't look as much like the Wicked Witch as they do now in the, in the clean. So what we're seeing now is a cleaned up. And when I say cleaned up, I mean, they physically cleaned the print of the film and then scanned it so that they could get the true color. I mean, I, I found this extraordinarily fascinating. They could find, they get the true color back because people were like, they recolored it. No, they didn't. They cleaned it. By cleaning it, they could scan it and get the correct colors back to what so they, they were. Yeah. Digitally remastered it or something. Correct. Like but that. like painstakingly. Like at, at one point, I understand there were some sections they had to do frame by frame, which is unheard. It was, it took several years to do. Because well, re watching this on um, Max, mm-hmm. I was just like, this is beautiful. Gorgeous. This looks modern. It doesn't look from 1939. Because I've seen a lot of other older movies and they have that kind of look to them that like, mm. I guess because they've cleaned and remastered and did yeah. everything to it, yeah. that like the colors are bright. The uh, She is like in sharp focus. Yeah. Usually they did like that super soft focus and everything, yeah, but I don't really remember that in this movie. No. And also there was a thing that also, like I kept thinking like there was a, a um, 
uh, Mandela effect because I was like, this was black and white and now it's sepia tone. What the hell? And then I was like, Judy's hair is brown. And in the movie, it's red. You can clearly see it's a dark red. Oh, yeah. It has more of a reddish tone. Uh huh. Because in my mind, she's a brunette. And it's like, no, Judy Garland was a brunette. But Dorothy Gale has got a lot of red in her hair. And I just think it has to do with the cleaning up of the print. I mean, mm-hmm. at one point, she turns, she puts her head down. You can see the part in her hair. And you can see the little brown, like, roots showing. And I was, because I have a huge TV. I watched it on her. And I was like, oh, it's really red. Like, you can see the difference. <laughs> It looked like, in a good way, it went through like an Instagram filter or something. You yeah, know, where I they agree. punched up the color, they uh, and then they made it crisp and sharp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, "This is really it's good. Be- it's beautiful. It really is beautiful." And it's interesting to look at like the amount of design in the fashions. Like for some reason, I mean, I always thought the clothes were amazing, but like. Now, you know, watching it on a big TV and the crispness of the print, the the beauty of the Munchkins costumes, mm-hmm. the, the beauty of like when you get to the Emerald City and you go the detailing on all those costumes, like nothing is left untouched. Like it's so gorgeous. And just the but, sets themselves like you, you know, you forget like there's no digital nothing here. This is all practical. This they died all- that fucking horse. So there are multiple horses, though. Like, well, yeah, but they yeah. dyed them. Yeah, I think the rumor is something like there was like a gelatin dye that they brushed onto them, and it's just, it's, oh god, that's like feeding a pig bacon. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> terrible. You're like you dyed a horse with gelatin. My name is John Dossett. I am the current wizard in Wicked on Broadway. And I first saw The Wizard of Oz in 1965. It was a big deal because this was before CDs, VCR, cable. It would come on once a year. And this was the first time I ever saw it. I was seven years old. I remember my brother and sister and I had never seen anything quite like it. I remember the munchkins. And I remember, of course, Dorothy and... Scarecrow and Tin Man and the, the Lion, but most of all, I remember that witch's face and that globe when it got close, and we were terrified and we run behind this big stuffed chair in the living room so she couldn't see us. And every time she came on screen, we would run behind that chair, and I'll never forget it. You can imagine, though, years later when I saw it in color because I was watching it on a black and white TV. And it really blew my mind. It's an amazing movie. There's never been anything like it before or since. And it deserves to be in the in the movie hall of fame forever. Hey, what's going on? This is Darius Fry from Stage to Screen and the Stage Yourself a Podcast. I've been a guest on Life's But a Song a couple times. Uh, the Wizard of Oz means a lot to me um, as far as like a cinematic masterpiece. It's like a it's like a pinnacle of cinematic history. And movies was my love before even musicals. Even though they came around the same time, it was definitely something that inspired me to keep doing what I was doing. My mom would always tell me that, you know, back in the day when something came to the movies, you wouldn't see it again until it came on TV because there wasn't really a way to watch things at home. So 
when it did come on, which was like once a year by the time it did actually come on TV, everyone would cry around the TV as the special event because Wizard of Oz is on TV. So now when it comes on during the holiday season, we still watch it as if we're not able to watch it anywhere else and we, you know, tell stories about it and how the Wicked Witch scared us and everything like that. And we'll even, uh, you know, share history of the movie itself and all the adaptations that came afterwards that sort of changed uh, the way we make movies and the way we make uh, movie musicals to this day. So it's a very special movie, very special story, and I don't think I would be pretty much where I am as far as, like, creativity goes if it wasn't for this movie. Hello, it's Jay. And Anthony. And Joe. And we're with the Beards and Sundries podcast. And my favorite memory of The Wizard of Oz is the fact that I grew up in Kansas, so it just feels like home watching it. My sister even lives in the town that has the yellow brick road, and tornadoes formed in our backyard all the time. Except there was never a munchkin land. That's because they named it after you. (laughs) (laughs) And my fond memory of The Wizard of Oz is actually spending time with my dad's parents. Uh, They watched a lot of kind of old-timey Turner classic movies whenever I was young, Turner classic movies. Uh, And that's one that I always felt like when they put it on, I wanted to watch and enjoy with them. So it just reminds me of simpler times. And for me, The Wizard of Oz always reminds me to check all the labels on my makeup to make sure that there's no copper oxide. Because Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch, suffered some terrible burns on her face when pyrotechnics, uh, paired with a terribly timed trapdoor malfunction, caused her to suffer some really bad facial scarring. Oops. Turns out fire was her weakness, not water. We didn't start the fire. Oh! (laughs) It was always burning with the copper oxide paint anyways mm. congratulations on 250 episodes john we are very proud Yay, of you congrats yes. you so much absolutely congratulations for all of his audience out there he's been wearing a wig this whole time <laughs> <laughs> not just the reshoots <laughs> that's right go listen to the beards and sundries podcast where you can find no wigs whatsoever exactly and a dumpster full of copper oxide out back <laughs> congrats john we love bye. you congrats john we love bye, you bye john love you hi i'm michelle park i am currently messing around with madame morrible at uh wicked on the broadway and a thousand stories come to mind when i think about the wizard of oz but because i'm so old back in the day there, you know, we didn't have VHS, obviously we didn't have YouTube or any, we didn't have anything. So movies like The Wizard of Oz, The Sound of Music, and that Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella aired on television once a year. So it was such a family event. Oh, The Wizard of Oz is on, The Wizard of Oz is on, and everybody gathered around the television and shared that. So on one hand, um, always reminds me of my family and my siblings and you know my love for musicals but now that I've gotten older like the the genius of it you know having the the real life in black and white the hardships that you see when these people are working on the farm and then the dream the fantasy and then let's talk about just the technology of the technicolor and the 
amazing. That was all new for so many people watching television. So that that movie is a revolutionary, really. Oh, uh, what else do you have written um, down? Another um, bullet point. Uh, okay, so I, I'm I'm giving you the reins on this episode. <laughs> yeah, wait. I'm curious about something. We haven't talked about the music because the songs and right. the music in yeah. this, to me, are the also the star of the show. What's your favorite like musical part of this movie? Because I have a very like unusual one, and I, I'm ne- it's never changed. It's still the same. <sighs> Besides Over the Rainbow, or is that included? I mean, I, yeah, we should take that off the table because it's sort of a given. Like, you go it, and, It's its own, yeah. It, it, it's its own, it's a phenomenon. It won itself. the Oscar, for fuck's yeah. sake. Yeah, but it's also, like I said, it's like, when you really watch it objectively as a contemporary professional in the arts, you go, Jesus Christ, this kid was how old? And she gave that? And the song itself, you go, this is one of the best songs ever written. Like, I, What? I think I saw this on the Oz vlog as well, which I can't I can't stress enough that if you love Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. or if you're interested in learning a little bit more, just like find it on Instagram, find it on TikTok. Great. You know, she's she's, so she's an Oz historian. Oh, I love for her like song. over twenty years or something like that. And her level talking, of knowledge is just staggering too. Yeah, it's she's just talking about the reprise of Over the Rainbow that um it was such a downer yeah, and that's why it was cut. But like, mm-hmm. I'm just intrigued to see what happened. Um, Off the top of your head. Like what's, you know, what do you go? I love that moment. This is going to be weird. I like the optimistic voices. <gasps> that's mine. I have to I, say. Cause it's, it's just delicious. It's so forties. It, and it's so boppy but, and it's just delicious. I love it. So it's my favorite, but also it's just like, you made it, you made your goal. You found yeah. You got to Emerald yeah. City, the wizard and everything. Yeah. And it's such a great moment. And musically, and I mean, if I'm, I have it on my playlist that I call Wake Up Happy playlist. It's just like, if you're in a downer mood, it's it, it'll show up and I'll be like, oh yeah, <laughs> sing it to me, girls. <laughs> and which leads into Mary Old Land of Oz. Because yeah. I believe it's the same rhythm. Uh, maybe sure or similar rhythm sure. uh the friends know. songs that if i only had a mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. it's the same yeah um, which is great because it, it really is such a that's see okay that's a genius moment in, in songwriting because they could have given them each individual songs that would st- make them stand out separately but what they did is they had this one unifying theme that they wrote separate lyrics to to give each one you know their own objective and their own what they're searching for, but still keeping it in the same world so that that's why they come together as friends in some subconscious way. You go, well, they belong together, you know, like you don't really know why you feel that way, but it's because they're singing the same tune, putting it in quotes, you know, Uh, I think it's brilliant. I think it's genius, right? And then followed by we're off to see the wizard. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, if I only had a whatever, and then we're off to see the wizard. So yeah. they're lumping these people together. And if you didn't know that they are the farmhands from the beginning, mm-hmm. you kind of are getting, and like, she, it's kind of funny that she has a moment in Oz and she's like, I feel like I've known you guys on my whole life. Anyway, let's go to that. The, let's go to Emerald like, City. Like, really? I see, and I feel like I've known you all along. You're like, oh. although I tend to like, not remember a lot from the opening. 
That's why I rewatched it. <laughs> I like everyone remember like the memes and the gifts and the everything that came out of this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like the tornado, the um, mm-hmm. the shoes and all that. The the lines that stand the test of time and everything. I kind of forgot though that they planted the seeds of like the farmhands are the friends in the very beginning. Yeah. And also talk- pay attention to what the farmhands are saying. They correspond to their characters' wants. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, where they mention, oh, uh, oh, hunk, you don't have a brain or whatever. Or yeah, or be like, hey, you need courage. Yeah, you scared me, you know, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, I was so afraid for you, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very, it's extremely well set up. And to be honest with you, uh, Mike Ockrent did that in Christmas Carol intentionally, like the beginning of, of the of the show, uh, the three ghosts appear and they reflect what they're going to do um, later on in the in the because in the... he was inspired by this. Correct. Yeah. No, he did it. Like he would say it. He said it all the time that this was like the Wizard of Oz, like like mirroring moment. Like this movie, it's just affected I... our consciousness as a society in in such a huge way and it's not the first musical movie ever made i want to make that clear no god no 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 there's so many movies prior to this since like the invention of movies i believe it was like comedy action and musicals like when it became talkies yeah and the busby berkeley ones were the ones that like really hit initially this the splashy giant production you you know but this is the one where it and just it also wasn't the first color movie. No. But it's I just believe... the one that we think of that way because it's such a dramatic shift when she goes to from sepia to color, you know, that it's like you never forget that. Which I love that it's a double. I love that they didn't it's, cut it. Isn't it so funny? I I knew that now and watching it, I go, I still don't, I would never have known. You can see it with the gimmickry that, gimmickry that's happening. I made up a word yeah. there, haha. But like, it is so smart. And there's a lot of like smart moves that they did in this. Like, I don't know how the, how the lion's tail wags. I don't um, either. The, the makeup on the scarecrow baffles me to this day. Yeah, I wish I knew. And because it looks so good and weird. The Glinda bubble, I don't get it. The, the Oz head, I don't know. Because none of it, you know, you, it's like, how did you film it? It took me also, I think, until I saw it on the Oz vlog, that the wizard it plays multiple characters. Oh, you didn't know that? I, I mean, it's been a while. I, I didn't know oh, okay. that as a kid, and I didn't. Uh-huh. Well, it's like Frank said, Morgan. That's see, he's one of my notes that I wanted to give a shout out to, like the amazing character actor, you know, because he was a legit vaudeville, you know, star, and they and he was Professor Marvel, and then he's just all those other people. Right, yeah. Like, I, well, oh my he, god. I think for me, I fell into it because of all the voices and the different mm-hmm. makeup and the, you know, the different mustaches and things that... that yeah, and they gave him cheeks, there. they gave him a nose, you know, like... Did they give him prosthetics for the being the wizard? I think so. Because when you see Frank Morgan as Professor Marvel, he... He's quite there's there's like a handsomeness to his face and it's he's more chiseled and then when you see him as the wizard he's got round rounder cheeks, cheeks and a rounder and a little chin, bit of a bulbous yeah. nose and a you know and I think he's you know and I'm sure the wig you know uh, changes his look a lot and all that stuff that's why I always wonder why 
Glinda does not exist in the first part in the in the Kansas part. I because I thought they all do except for her, and I and that's why I think the only thing it could be is that Billy Burke just was like, no way, man, no um, way am I wearing a dowdy wig and a fucking icky dress unless they they couldn't figure out how to shoehorn her in in the beginning. Just thinking off the top of my head, if you had Miss Gulch have a sister or something and it was played by Glinda and it would show you the dynamic between the two of them, I feel like that would have worked or something. Mm -hmm. I feel like that could work. Where it's just like the choice on the stage version that NEM is played by Glinda works best because it's the benevolent motherhood figure because they all reflect who they become in the in Oz, you know, with like the Wiz movie. Oh, I love that movie. When you're in Oz, you're in Oz. There is no crossover. Mm-mm. So that that was an interesting choice. But like, yeah. I don't know. There's just something about this where the fairy tale nature of like bringing your real life into your imaginary adventure. Mm-hmm. It also set a standard because like, I'm really surprised. Like, there's some people that have not seen this movie to this day. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I, but I if you based on it, it's so weird. But if you haven't seen it, you've seen it. Oh yeah, in one way, shape, or form. Because like, it's been referenced more, more times. You can Im- totally imagine. Like I said, there they've been the memes of it, mm-hmm. where like that's a horse of a different color, or I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog too. I mean, I feel like also we misquote this movie absolutely and also when you see it all in context it feels interesting because well uh, for me it felt felt interesting because i sat there watching all this and going how did this all become so iconic this was like every beat of this movie there's something that you go iconic iconic again iconic like like every freaking thing like i don't think they were thinking this thinking i don't think you know how would you know right right like I think they were just like, we got to finish this thing. Yeah. And they, I think, you know, because it was bounced around so many times and there were so many different yeah. concepts and everything that like, I don't think they had the highest hopes for it. Who knows? Like, I, because I, it, fe- it feels like it was a, a miracle even got finished from everything we know. And the fact that it, it is of the quality that it is, is a testament to these artisans that, you know, even in the editing room, and Victor Fleming, who, and whoever was the editor, I'm not, I don't know. The fact that they cleaved this out of what they had and all the mess that they had uh, is just so admirable because you just go, fuck. Mm. It's a quality movie. Like, I do not feel like there's a moment where I'm, I, I roll my eyes, except at the beginning when when she's like, puts the shoes on her feet, Glinda puts the shoes on, on Dorothy's feet. And then at the end when she's like, you knew all along. And I'm always like, really, really? <laughs> I, that's me being a bitch, you know. I I think of the um the Mad TV skit where they do that. Mm. I'm just looking up. Oh, so uh-huh. the movie won two Oscars. It oh. won for the song "Over the Rainbow" and it won Best Music Original Score. Oh, because it's flawless, Jesus. Yes, it was it's nominated for art direction special effects and best what? picture uh-huh uh, what did it, it lose to best picture went yeah. to gone with the wind 
oh, that's right. Because that was that year of like, you go, well, sure. Well, and also <laughs> I was reading that Victor Fleming left Gone with the Wind to do this. Yes, I, d- I knew that too. Because it's in a play. There's a, moon, a, mo- a play called Moonlight and Magnolias. And I think Victor Fleming has talked about her in the play or something. I remember reading it and thinking he left to do with it. <laughs> same all the same year um that's because that's a crazy year for like seminal filmmaking um so there's a theater here in los angeles that's currently closed because of the pandemic called the cinerama dome it is an iconic movie theater it is uh, a dome it's it's had many many moving premieres and in the 80s early 90s when i was still here like as a young uh, like young actor coming up they played gone with the no wizard of oz at the Cinerama Dome. And the Cinerama Dome is where they played movies that were filmed in Cinemascope. Mm. And that was the only theater left. And what that means is that there were two large panels that went on the sides of the film. Now, I know for a fact the movie was filmed in the in this aspect ratio we see it in now. So I don't understand what I saw, but I know that there was these two <laughs> panels that made the movie widescreen. And I don't know how that happened or if that was just like... Magic. Yeah, or if they just have these, like this print of the movie because nothing really changed. It it was just, you could see there was more to it. That was the one and only time I saw it on the big screen. And I remember just being like, oh my God, this movie. So, you know what I, so I'm looking on the award section as well. Harold Arlen and Herbert Stoffhart mm-hmm. won this year in 20 in the year of our lord 2023 or sorry in the year of our wizard 2023 <laughs> it won an online film and television association film hall of fame award oh huh. so it's still winning things to this day that's wild that is <laughs> yeah and then like last year uh margaret hamilton won that the same award oh. uh she or, was so good. Oh my god! Yes, and, and, and such a sweet lady. I mean, there was there was this wonderful video of her. I I think uh, Tori from the Oz blog might have posted it. I'm not sure that of her on the on Mr. Rogers Mouse Club. Oh, Mr. No, Rogers, Mr. right? And it, and she was much older. Had to have been in the 70s or 80s. And she was basically putting on the Wicked Witch outfit and talking about it. Be like, I'm, I'm playing about, a character. And it's a character, exactly. And the fact that she brought so much love and care to the idea of like, hey, it's just a character. You don't have to be scared. This isn't real. This is play. And this is, and look, and then, ha, 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 and then I do the voice. It was, she was so dear and apparently beloved woman. Like, I mean, the story, I think she and Judy were friends until she Yeah, I, I saw. They weren't that trip. much different in age, honestly. Like, I, I think saw, she was few years older than judy oh no she's about 20 years older than judy oh she was oh, okay, okay yeah um i saw in the trivia that it was like judy garland like had difficulty trying to act scared because like they were such good friends yeah. friends yeah, yeah. well because everyone said what a lovely person margaret hamilton was but also she she and um agnes moorhead are like my favorite character actors that ever lived uh and it's always interesting to see good acting right like i mean like i say i was watching this again last night before bed and i was just like margaret is really just doing old school like playing her objectives she's not doing i mean she does a little bit of a voice when she's the wicked witch uh and she does a little bit interesting characterization when she's miss goats but she's just playing what she needs like she's just being a good actor i was thinking of the last time you were on 
we did Victor Victoria and you um, talked about all the character actors that surround the movie. Always. And I was just like, the friends are character actors. Oh, and they're flawless. Every everything they do. And you have not played anything, any of them in No, I haven't. I've always wanted to do the lion. And then really I'm sort of getting to the age where I'd rather much I'd rather be the wizard and Miss and Professor Marvel. But, you know, what happens is these regional theaters do these sh- shows and they usually hire, you know, local people or somebody with like a Broadway credit or something. I think there's a production happening here in L.A. Uh, I think right now, as a matter of fact, and Jason Graw, you know, who Jason Graw is he's that playing he's playing the wizard. He, he did the wizard in the Wicked tour, I think. So, I mean, uh, it's uh, that it's that kind of thing. So I'm sort of like, nah, I think my my time playing that is past unless somebody really wants me. But it's OK, because I've. I still struggle with stage adaptations of iconic things. Mm. I just don't know why we're doing it. I just watch the movie again. I make something new, you know, like I don't. At least with the stage adaptation, though, they add in things. Right. This one, this one, that is the beauty of of some of these that you get to hear the jitterbug, but, which I think it's really interesting that they chose to cut. I just think it didn't fit. Uh, yeah, sure. And I think it's really a brave thing. And in, it's I say interesting in the in the sense that it's like, wow, they had a lot they had big balls. They're like, we're gonna cut a whole number that we fucking filmed and recorded. And in those days, that's like, oh my god, are you really cutting this? You know, because you went to the trouble of filming it, of and having everybody on set, all the money of recording it in the studio, of getting and even go, do, probably doing all the processing on the film, because remember, this was shot on film that you had to process to watch. And then they're like, we got to cut it. And then when you hear the song out of context, you go, oh, yeah, it's very much of this time. It is not a sort of otherworldly, lives outside of time piece of music. Like It very much feels like it is a 30s, 40s. Da, 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 do, da, da, do, do, do. It's very, you know... And like, you can find video of it. Yeah. Some, and there's, well, you can't find the. It's that backstage video. Yeah, it's behind. Mm-hmm. You could see, you could hear the music and they have photos. Well, there's a video of it that is partial that you can see it's filmed like off the soundstage and you can see like the people inside of the trees and you could see the backs of them and they're dancing a little bit, but it's literally like a minute long. Like, you know, it's very, it's very backstage. Um, but the tune is a great, it's a great song, and I'm glad it's in the show. Wait, that makes sense now because there is a line that stayed in the movie. And she goes, "There's a little. I send a little insect and ahead of the ahead of uh, the, the they should they should yeah. be no problem. I send a little insect ahead." And I was just like, "What insect?" Now it makes sense. Okay, and it's funny because it goes right there, like, and then the monkeys are flying and they go into the jitterbug. And then there's a like a weird jump cut where all of a sudden, like Judy and the friends are like looking up and they're terrified. It was because that was the end of the number. That was how the number ended. Because the whole point of the jitterbug is that they're dancing and they can't stop dancing. And that's what makes them weak and vulnerable for the monkeys to catch them. In like the same respect as the poppies make her, the lion, and Toto yeah. drowsy. Vulnerable. Yeah, it's all about... Yeah, the witch has these things that make... I mean, it's it's an interesting device. I think it's great. They should have tried to find a way to keep it in some... Or keep that moment, but whatever. It's fine. Hi, I'm Cullen. And I'm Hannah. 
And we together are the hosts of Not My Fantasy Podcast. And we were also hosts of Glee Boot. Wizard of Oz was one of my favorite movies as a young boy. It started my lifelong love of fantasy, musicals, rainbows, and most importantly, red shoes. And for me, those monkeys scared the shit out of me. Hi, this is Matt Koplick, host of Broadway Breakdown. To me, The Wizard of Oz is just one of those movies that is evergreen. It doesn't matter how old you are, when in your life it comes to you, it's just magical. I first was introduced to it, like many people, at a very young age, probably two or three, and just was transfixed from the moment it began. I was always terrified of the Wicked Witch of the West. I would always hide under our coffee table when I knew her first entrance was coming. I got to know the movie so well that during Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead, I knew exactly like the 20 seconds before she was coming on and I would hide underneath the table uh, and then stay there until she was over. But I would play along with the movie. I would dress up with the movie. I had a whole gig with it with costumes from household objects. And I still love it to this day. It's, it's just magical and it's classic and iconic for a reason and that is my wizard of oz journey y'all hi my name is tommy schwanfelder and i was a warmly welcome guest on the godspell and grease episodes of life's but a song i remember seeing the wizard of oz on tv throughout my childhood i had family in vermont and when we would visit them they had it on vhs and i would watch it constantly i loved the costumes the music the sets and that change from sepia to technicolor always blew my mind and still does fun fact little Tommy was terrified of the Wicked Witch of the East, not West. When Miss Gulch transformed in the cyclone scene, I always had to look away. The movie is literally just an escape to a wonderful land of magic, gorgeous villages and palaces and fabulous shoes. I think kids just like to get lost in a world like that, especially young queer kids who may not know exactly what's going on in their minds versus what the actual world around them was telling them. A place where there isn't any trouble. You suppose there is such a place? I think it's still a wonderful question. Hi, I'm Kevin Massey. I'm the wizard and Dilliman understudy in Wicked on Broadway. I think my best connection to Wizard of Oz is the night I was born. Of course, I don't remember, but my parents tell me the story that they were watching Wizard of Oz, and in the middle of it, I guess they might have been watching it late. Maybe mom was uncomfortable. And boom, things started to happen. She said, it's, it's happening dad and she flew to the hospital and it was all happening so fast and they took my mom up and they were making my dad fill up paperwork and he said I am going to miss the delivery of my son I'm not going to fill this out now please let me go and I think I came into the world in less than two hours maybe you know an hour and a half or something it was in the middle of the morning and uh kind of a surprise that would happen that fast and i think it was because of the 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 wizard in the wizard of oz right or or dorothy she clicked her heels and boom she said kevin needs to be here on this this day this hour (laughs) so i think that's my favorite memory that i didn't even that i can't even remember in connection to wizard of oz what what other i just have to talk about things that made me happy oh no there is something um uh before we get to that you know we, we think we think of the wizard of oz the first thing you think of is a rainbow right the rainbow over the rainbow this song and just not to go go too far afield here the rainbow is you know the queer flag 
we there's there's a lot of evidence that it came from other sources we where no one really knows for sure where this idea of the queer flag and the representation flag being a rainbow but right after this movie came out the term for gay people you know are you a friend of dorothy is i think this was like more 60s 70s right okay sure but so later on that term became you know a coded language for are you gay i think that's really interesting you know judy's death was her funeral day was the day of Stonewall because the queens were so upset that they're they're icon. that they're yeah that they, and they were being raided on the day of Judy's funeral that they were done they were done and they started fighting back. All of this to say, it's really interesting that you go. Judy had nothing to do with the fact that there was a rainbow there. It was Yip Harburg, <laughs> Yip Harburg, the lyric writer who gave us the idea of the somewhere over the rainbow. But she's the one who who's been credited. And, well, it's not. It's not ways. credited. So, I mean, I, I. Not credited, but you know what I mean. Like she's associated yeah, more. We forget that it's E. Y. Harburg, and, yeah. and and Harold Harlan. The reason the song exists is because of them. You know, hello, writer strike. Let's give the writers the their their props. That was just a thought that I had. I thought, oh yeah, this is for two forgotten men who might have been straight. I don't even know. But it's a beautiful thing that you go, oh yeah, we got to remember those gents, that they're the ones we have that created the music that we all love, that the score, the lyrics that just we quote, you know, Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead is such an iconic thing that we use now for every, every time someone's, you know. And then either- even another queer icon, Barbara Streisand, made a song in the 60s. Of what? Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. She did? Ding dong. I think it was Barbara. Oh, okay. Sure. I mean, I, I, yeah, I believe you. I I just, but I just want, so I'm I'm saying all this to talk about the, that how, how interesting that old notion that we just forget. It's really these two gentlemen who made, who, who gave us these ideas. I lied. It was, I think it was Ella Fitzgerald. Oh, there's an Ella. Like the ding dong. Yes, there is. I I think I have it on vinyl. Yeah. 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 It's one. It's in one of her live live recordings. Um, okay, it, it was either her or Rosemary Clooney. I can't remember which one. No, it's Ella because I have it. It's on one of my live recordings of Ella, like uh, when she was at the yeah you know, one of the clubs, and and it's just still funny. another queer icon. Yeah, and on that recording, oddly, she forgets the lyrics to something, and they kept it on the recording. It's just funny as hell because she's like <laughs> scatting and vamping, and then she kind of sings like I don't remember these words, and you're just. Like, oh. <laughs> Um, and it's just funny how she just solves her own problem I'm Caden Marshall also known as the musical dealer I was on the walking on sunshine and over the moon episodes and the wizard of oz is really special to me because before I was out before I even knew that the wizard of oz was relevant in the gay community The very first group of queer friends that I've ever had brought me to a screening at Navy Pier in Chicago. And it was a riot. One of them was a literal Wizard of Oz expert. I I had the best time. It's a really cherished memory. Hi, everyone. I'm Edward Miskey. I'm the author of Cancer, Musical Theater, and Other Chronic Illnesses. And I'm also the co-host of I Want to Be a Rich Bitch podcast. The Wizard of Oz is one of the first movies that I ever remember watching with my grandmother. She sat me down and she was like, you have to see this. And of course, obviously, she was right. To me, The Wizard of Oz has always been a coming out story in a sense, in that it 
tells you that when you leave your comfort zone, things can be colorful and wonderful and beautiful. And even if you are in a place that is colorful and wonderful and beautiful, when you leave your comfort zone, you're capable, you find that you're capable of doing so much more than you thought you could. And to me, that's a coming out story. That is us facing our fear of what others are going to say about us and being our true authentic selves anyway. And despite the fact that Dorothy does decide to go home in the end, because of course she does, the people that love her are there, she has learned an insurmountable amount of things about herself and the world around her. I have to talk about things that made me laugh in this movie, just as like an audience member. There is a moment that I never... Even as a child, I would go, hee, 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 I love that. So we're in the tornado. Dorothy's looking out the window. People are going by. The house is spinning. And then it's turning and turning and turning. The house lands with a thud. And the set, and you see the set, like, thump. And Judy just goes, oh! <laughs> and dead silence. Genius. And it's just right to camera. No, not, well, not to camera, but, like, but to, practically. And it's just one little, oh! I burst out laughing every time. I don't know why that tickles me, because it's so authentic because they probably lifted the set and dropped it or did something where it shook the set and you clearly just upset her and they kept it because it's so real it's so funny real honest i love it so much and it makes me giggle the other thing that i always get tickled at is when dorothy slaps the lion for the first time just just down his face just smack it tickles me to no end i don't know why i have to say re-watching this now as an adult Mm-hmm. I was paying a little more attention to what the wizard was saying at the end, and uh-huh. it's funny. It's like when fun- he's giving out the awards, mm-hmm. he's doing like comedy, but like he's not waiting for the laugh. Well, you can't because there's no there's no laugh to wait. There's nobody to <laughs> right, but like you know, he's like, oh, there's scholars and everything. They're still dumb, and they have a big as big of a brain as you do. But here you go, diploma. And then and he and he does a callback joke from the beginning. The munchkins say of our descendants, and then one of the munchkins goes, "If any," and then there's another line that he that the wizard gives, and he says, "You know," and I forget what the line is now. But he goes something. He says something, and then he just kind of goes, "If any," and I don't know why. I don't know why that that tickled me to no end as well. Like just there's the script is so funny on its own. Yes, you're right. You're right. It is, and I feel like you know you see it differently now when you're an adult yeah sorry i i should say i see it differently now yeah i do too no like you know yeah because you know when you're a kid you're like oh um i wasn't afraid of the witch or the monkeys i'm i'm going to admit that but i'm just like oh no gotta gotta defeat her never understood the water moment so the water moment also what sort of took made me pause for a second because i always thought that it was dorothy just throwing water on her and you when you watch it you realize no it's purely accidental what happens the scarecrow's on fire she just gets a bucket of water to douse the the fire and it goes on the witch but i never understand why the witch melts same no i don't get it either it's just so like why would pure water do that to her i mean i don't know i don't know i don't know no i'm sure philosophers have pondered this uh, film historians have pondered the thought you know i always just wonder like it, wicked tries to justify it oh yeah what did they say i forget i know um they say something about like it, like her soul is so dark or something like that that water will melt her oh that's right 
That's right. That's in, right. A, in a way of like, in a moment of like um, gossiping. Yes, I re- that's right. I remember. Yeah, it doesn't really make great s- sense in that respect, but it still works. It always works. I mean, even and even her, the way she, you know, melts is so beautifully staged and beautifully crafted. And it's just such a great moment. But yeah, it's definitely a moment of suspension of disbelief because you're just like, why, why this? Why is this her demise? And then when the guy goes, you killed her. She's like, I didn't mean to kill her. You're like, and then he's like, then don't worry about it because we hated her. That's fine. We'll we'll get rid of the evidence. Yeah. Take a broom. Like, Goodbye. Goodbye. And we'll be our own people again. Um, yeah, it's a really that's a really odd moment. I wish part of me wants to go find um, we should tag Tori in the Oz vlog and see if she'll answer the question. I, but also, but also water? but also <laughs> why does the wizard want the broom? I think he, I mean, I think that's just more of an empty task to make them go away. Oh, I okay. always get the feeling that, you know, he is such a good con man that he's just inventing things. He's like, they'll never be able to do this. Nobody's going to get the broomstick away from that crazy old bit, like witch. Go get the broomstick. And then he's like, you'll never come back. So when they do come back, I think he's like, uh-oh, what, 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 what do I do now? And then that's when the jig is up. And then again, you know, Toto's the one that Toto. reveals him. But Toto. if you- if you watch again, it looks like they like snapped part of the uh, curtain to his collar. He did. It's not in his mouth. You could it's see it's not it. in his mouth. Yeah, yeah it was like that. that is so. But that's adorable. But like, no one's really paying attention to that. Also, like, they throw in some wild birds in this movie. So that's another really interesting thing that you. If you're paying attention, you'd be like, why is there a toucan just sitting on that tree limb? And why is there like some crazy crane in the background of another scene? And why is there? And there, everyone always says the crane is the munchkin hanging himself. And it's like, no, that's they're just they threw birds in the background of these scenes. It's so bizarre. Um, but I then guess... why? But then why are the owls puppets? Right. I mean, they wanted the glowing red eyes. I get that. Right. But then They're not even puppets. They're like plastic. They just turn their and there's like a vulture moment too that it's like that's a plat or wooden vulture with glowing <laughs> eyes. It's so weird. Like that, it, a lot of it is just you could tell that like they had to solve problems, you know, and they're trying to piece things together from, you know, like footage that existed, and you know, and it's so, like who, who look knows? how exotic and weird this land is. There's a random crane in the background at that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they kept it in where it's flapping its wings while the yeah. Tin Man is coming to life. <laughs> Yeah, it's so strange. But also, I think what's interesting at times is, especially when they're going into the Emerald City, like after op- optimistic voices and they're at the door, you see on the left-hand side of the, you know, it's obviously a painted s- scrim, a very idealized, like, um, like farmland-looking landscape. And I feel like in some ways it's like, because Kansas was like, you know, the Dust Bowl and it wasn't, and it wasn't very you know, this is right at the end of the depression and right going into before World War II. And Oz is almost like an idealized version of America that, you know, of abundance, of more prosperity, of like more green lands, of, you know, the greenness. But also home. Well, I think that's... For like the the soldiers going off to war to be like, I think that's the point. Yeah, it's like, I think the point is remember like America the way we want you to remember it without saying as much, you know, I don't think they did it intentionally propaganda wise. No, but I feel like this, this movie came out perfect timing because of then when it was America's 
time to go off to war they may yeah. i think they re-released it oh like, they, they re-released this movie so many times <laughs> yeah where it, it makes sense that they re-released it to be like remember what you're fighting for troops and correct everything. yeah this movie was really hoping i'd feel this way but i'm glad i do that watching it as an adult it absolutely does not lose its luster at all no not even no and even and even i don't even like i said i don't even remember the last time i watched it like watched it watched it not like in the background or like or just at a party it's on yeah you're flipping channels and all of a sudden it's if i only had a brain and you're like let's watch it i'm not really Mm -hmm. paying attention Mm -hmm. but like i watched it and yes, I was kind of dicking around on my phone at the time, but like I still <laughs> paid attention. Well, because yeah. I'm a millennial, whatever. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. I no, paid we all attention did. to it, and it was riveting. Like I said, I didn't take any notes. Yeah, I did it again. I'm telling you, you laughed at me, but I was like, I'm going to watch this again because now I need to take, I need to sort of have something I want to talk about. And of course, the movie started, and I was like, just open mouth staring at the screen, like, God, this is such a good movie. Nothing about this movie. is bad. But, like, sometimes I often wonder, you know, there are things that we're told are good and we remember being good, but, like, well, then we watch it and it's bad. That happens not, to me all the time. Great. But, yeah. like, I feel like this is one of those cases where, no, it is just No, it really good. is. Yeah. Some may say it's a great movie. I guess, like, you and I, um, because we've watched it over the years and mm-hmm. starting mm-hmm. in childhood, there's something mm-hmm. nostalgic about it as well. Yes. There's, like, a little sense of family yes because you know you would watch it with your mom your dad your brothers your sisters your aunts everybody you would watch it it also felt like a really long movie to me and i realized why it felt long because of the commercials yes yeah and when i watched it from beginning to end without i just kept going it's only an hour and 41 minutes like really I had to stop it once and it was in the middle and I was just yeah. like, oh, but like, I really have to use the bathroom. <laughs> right. Like, I think I did the same thing and I was like, okay, she's, she's, you know, I, it was at a moment where I was like, let me stop it here. Cause I like, it's a, it's a transitional moment. And I, I looked and I was like, oh, there's only like 30 minutes left. What? That's weird. Right. Yeah. And it's just, again, because of the nostalgia, I think. And because of the fact that you watched, well, we watched it on television with commercials added it, it just the context has shifted so much that it is what it is re- really watching it with new eyes and then even like i said the memification of everything yeah where you're yeah. now just remembering certain parts not the whole mm-hmm. hello hello to all of you beautiful people out in life's but a song world My name is Courtney, but if you are a longtime listener of this podcast, you might know me better as O'Shady. I have been a guest on several episodes and hopefully many, many more to come. I am also John's co-host on the currently taking a break, but we promise we'll be back soon uh, movie Deja Vu podcast. Thinking about what The Wizard of Oz means to myself and to the world at large was really kind of a large task. I can think of so many things, but so few ways to really say it in a succinct amount of time. This movie is, I think, one of the defining movies, one of the defining examples of movie magic and what cinema can do to people and how it can transport people. 
It was not, contrary to popular belief, the first color film ever made. There were several color films made before The Wizard of Oz, but it was one of the first ones to really use that technology to fully immerse audiences in a wholly fantastic world. I think it makes sense that it's so commonly perceived as the first color film of all time. It just sort of feels right that a movie that magical really brought about a new form of magic via technology to our own real world. And it's just everything about this movie is just so key to our society, to our culture. Obviously, it means a lot of things to a lot of people and certain communities really connect with so many aspects of it, so many ideas about where, what home is, how we can define it, the types of people we can bring into our home, what it means to search for yourself and find out that you had the power to be yourself all along. It's just an incredible movie. Um, and you know, top to bottom, all of the magic, it's just magic. It defines magic to me. Um, there are so... So few movies that really wholly grab an entire world the way this one, I think, does. So yeah, if I had to put it in as few words as possible, what The Wizard of Oz is and what it means, it just means one thing, magic. Let's get into Sharp and Flat, shall we? Sure. We're doing it. Sharp! Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it or thought it could change, it's flat. I want to start with flats because <laughs> I got nothing. I, I Same. I don't know what to say. I feel like the only flat I can think of is the um, colorization of the Winkies because mm-hmm. it is lore that they are blue. Uh And I'm like, I don't know what happened in the cleaning, remastering, anything that all of a sudden they're lime green. They're the same color as the witch. There's a moment where I go, oh, that kind of makes sense. Like they're her race or something. Right. But in the the Wizard of Oz. They were were blue. Yes, I agree. No, they used to be blue. Yeah, I agree. I think my... Uh, Oh, go. Sorry. But like, that's not even really a flat. No. This is yeah. me. Yeah. Doesn't detract from the movie at all. No. Yeah. No, I think mine is very nitpicky as well. And it's silly, but it's her hair length. Like her length change, the hair changes lengths, like from shot to shot frequently. And like the consistency is very, like you, if you pay attention, you really notice, like it's, be- it's below her boobies. It's, a- it's above her shoulder. Like it's, at times it's so drastic. Part of me was but trying cares? like when we got when we got to the end of the movie you know how she gets that different hairstyle yeah. in oz yeah i was just like wait does that happen like i was trying to remember before it actually happened mm-hmm. if her hair changes when we go back to kansas at the end yeah to add like you know a little like was it real yeah, because it because it, it it does go back to the way it was. This that her little yes rolls, the little and, pigtails, and curls. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's um, I mean, there is nothing that makes me go, oh, what? Why did you do that? No, I could say I wish that they could 
put in the reprise of Over the Rainbow, yeah. but like, yeah. I mean, this movie's great as is. I don't. It is. There's. They were wrong. They were not wrong. Like, what they cut does make it streamlined. It's very timeless. It it exists outside of style, and it's. I mean, no, it's not. It's not, it's not true because at times the acting feels very period of that time, but um, but it's still not wrong because it still feels like it's you're in another universe, which is what they wanted. And like as a. I mean, she's technically a child actress, actor in this. Yeah. As a child actor, she also set the standard. Mm-hmm. Because, like, there are moments where you're just like, oh, you're a child. But, like, she is a child and she is acting like a child. And But she doesn't feel like a child. Like, I, I was watching and I go, "This, I know she's really young in this, but she doesn't feel like a young performer. Right. I mean, I guess she had done all those movies with, you know, um, Mickey Rooney and... um all the you know whatever little musicals that she did as a younger performer so she got seasoned in that respect but i mean we're talking was just a few years not it's like a couple years before like um god she was so good everyone is so good in this movie um so this is a good segue to sharps (laughs) i mean i do want to sharp the whole thing pretty much everything but i also want to i just want to sharp the tricks the special effects that they do because mm-hmm. I still don't understand how they did it to this same. day. Same. I I don't know how they did the the wizard's head and the and the bubble. I just I'm sh- and someone's trying to explain it to me and I didn't understand because it's not it's multi-layered filming and all this stuff that I'm like I would have But to like see. I was also looking for wires and things like that I and I didn't see it. Yeah. I don't know but like I don't know if that was the digital remastering of it all or anything oh, like that yeah oh that may be true but like, like the, the, the tail like the, the tail the like how how i know sometimes it was a guy off camera that i do know that there was like a guy oh off- you can you can tell when it's a close-up and and like, it's like you're and like it, we're gonna just, do from the waist up so you're like cool guy with a stick underneath the camera yeah, that brings the that brings the, the the tail up to his face you know but if you notice like when they're walking and we're off to see the wizard, the tail it's is wacky. still moving. Yeah, yeah, how did they do that? I don't know. The no. uh, the scarecrow's makeup, always, always. Amazing. Oh, Amazing. no, it's not really. I did think I uh, there was something that was a little flat worthy for me. Oh, do um, tell the Tin Man. Some yeah. of his costume, you can. It, it took me out for a second to uh-huh. see like folds and things like that, but like you can't. I don't know. You oh, you mean like, there's, yeah, there's a moment where you see like his, whatever he's wearing underneath the metal uh, on his like butt that it's like fabric. The, that's, yeah. Like, kind of folded at one point. And I, but oh, yeah. also I have to like commend him because like, I don't want to wear that. How did you work in that? Like, seriously, like how did they get him in and out of it? Like you don't see the openings like that. I, and, and he has another moment where I'm just like, I don't know how you did this in um, if I only had a heart when he does the well, toot toot. Oh, no, toot, no, the toot toot. And the mm-hmm. smoke comes out. I don't need, I don't know how that did. Yeah. Because like you watch it, he does the, the smoke comes out and then his back is to the camera and you're like, how the fuck did you just do that? Yeah. But there's a cut there. No, there isn't. It's, it's not? No. Okay. Unless it's invisible. I mean, I, okay, no, then, I, then I'm remembering it wrong. Yeah. And then and then the lean that clearly Michael Jackson was inspired by yeah. to use in Smooth Criminal. Yeah. yeah. Or wait, is or is it that? No, I think it's that. The lean is something that happens 
and then it, it he runs off and you're just like how do you do this it's oh, not yeah, the yeah. you're right about the smoke i think the two with the cut but you, i think it's the lean where you he steps out of it and you go wait what yeah. right because you're like he leans and then he leans and then i think he takes a step and that's the no cut because you're like what what how did you do like how are you and it's so cumbersome it looks like you know uh-huh. he was uh-huh. about to just like face plant yeah and just i there's oh i'm sorry you're done I, I i'm done with sharps yeah uh there i have i have so many but there's these for me it's all these little things it's the one i told you dorothy when when judy you know that the the house hits oh. the deck she goes oh <laughs> and it always it just tickles me because of its authenticity the slap to the lion but also the Toto's moments, Toto's moments that you oh. will just see Toto randomly walking around at one point. And I'm like, what is that dog doing? And it just tickles me to no end. But there is something that I watched with great fascination. And it's just more, I love it because it does something that I don't think it intended to do. When the witch appears in Munchkinland for the first time and she appears in that scary puff of red smoke, there is a gust of wind. And the, and the wind she's like sort of flowing and her hair is going and the uh, the dress is going and the cape is going and it just makes her look fierce and sort of powerful. Do you know why that was, there's a gust of wind? Because in get the rid sh- of the smoke. They get rid of the damn red smoke out of the shot. And there's no audio either. So you could tell there's no audio. It's such a wonderful moment because it's the accident of we're just going to do this. And then you realize it actually serves the character really well. That yeah. If you, and if you pay attention, it it's very clearly like a, a wind fan to blow the smoke away. But the way Margaret goes, leans in and plays and her hair is going and her, it's like, yes, bitch, yes. <laughs> it's such a, um, these, it's all these little things that are like these accidents that they, I'm sure they didn't intend for, that they were smart enough to not be scared of and use that I think for me are the great testament to these filmmakers that, you know, they're like, oh no, we're sticking with it. This this works, we're, do- we're gonna do it. Because, like, I can't think of any other... Well, much of the Wooden Soldiers is kind of fantastical. Hmm. Came out around the same time. Bluebird of Happiness. Bluebird of Happiness came right before this, I believe. Because there's just something about Munchkinland hmm. and Oz itself. But, like, really hmm. Munchkinland. Because you sit in that for a long time, as we hmm. said. But it's so detailed. Like, like they went to extreme... De- like, when the little munchkins are sleeping in the eggs and they wake up and you're like what the fuck that's so weird and it's so brilliant right the the flowers on their heads on the tops of their head come on man. the the women doing point as the uh, lullaby league yeah um do you have any other sharks no i mean frank morgan just the whole journey that frank morgan does in this entire movie of all the pair all the characters all the joy yeah, Frank and and again, I'm an, I always have to shout out the character people. It's and and you know Frank and and Margaret Hamilton just because without them, there's no backbone, there's no core of this movie, you know. And same with Judy. Judy's work as an actor is unparalleled. Truly, like amazing, truly amazing work. Uh, would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist? You're out of the woods, you're out of the dark, you're out of the night. It's on my, it is on my playlist called Wake Up Happy. Uh, I, I love that, that song. It's everything for me. I mean, obviously Over the Rainbow. Hmm. And then, I mean, yeah, Optimistic Voices. And then I want to do all of the Munchkinland sequence because it's just because like oh, they're so good. It's iconic. Yeah, it's like a little operetta. I would listen to actually all of this, all of it. 
Yeah. Even the score, you like when you listen to the like the orchestration score in the deluxe version of the of the um you know album or streaming or whatever it is now, every piece of music is just so delicious. Like the not... Wicked Witch theme. Oh god. Yeah. Well, Roland. We did it. We did, did Wizard it. of Oz. We did it. We finally did it. <laughs> um, what do you have to plug or promote? Um, gosh, I just got to do something really fun. I, I'm just going to talk about it because no one's going to ever get to see it. But I got to be a live action reference for an animated thing that's, um, I think it's really more of a proof of concept for a studio that's trying to do a big project. I can't say what it is, um, that they hired me to be uh, an actor and they're going to rotoscope me. <gasps> We've uh, done a rotoscope movie on here. It's oh, wild. Well, they're going to digitally uh, do it, but they said your your performance is absolutely still going to show. Like your face is still going to be you, and we're going to create the character on you. And um, but it's it's a they're calling it a trailer, but it's really to to these studios that are trying to get financing um, to make this movie this way. I thought it was super fun. I just got to do that, but not a whole lot because you know the strike is keeping keeping things a little slow. I mean, lots of auditions, but nothing really that I can say because we're we're not we're on hold for a ton of stuff so you know and i'm um you know and it, it's just kind of a quiet moment unfortunately and who knows if strat uh, sag is gonna strike as well i hope not but if it does then everything's shut down in la oh boy uh i don't know how to come back from that to make it no it's all good we'll, we'll be fine um and i it, i don't know fuck it if you just want to reach out to me and tell me like your experiences with the wizard of oz yes. uh you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com i'm also on facebook instagram twitter and tiktok at buttersongpod i want to hear i want to hear what people have to say i'm very curious i'm curious because mm-hmm. like you know we've referenced it a lot on the podcast we finally did it so just like you know what is your story about it and if you want to be part of next episode's conversation well we're doing christmas in july everyone and it's the life and adventures of santa claus yeah rankin and bass we're back baby i love rankin bass roland thank you so much for finally choosing this movie thanks for having me being the brave soul to do it because we had to get done at some point. Yeah. I'm surprised it took so long, but yeah. we did it. Thank you, everyone, for 250 episodes. We're doing it. Here's to another 250. Oh, oh. oh. you can do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll help you with a few. Great, great. Uh, and bye for now, everyone. Bye, thanks. So I know you're probably expecting the usual outro here, but because there's just too many people to thank... I wanted to make something a little special and a little different. So first and foremost, thank you to Nick Bomasino and Justin Johnson for all of your hard work. Uh, you can hear Nick's music throughout all 250 episodes. He has created like three different <laughs> theme songs, uh, intros. Justin, thank you so much for all of your collaborative work. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I sometimes draw Justin little drawings little stick figures this last time it was just boxes of being like put this reference here and he creates masterpieces out of it so justin thank you so much for all of your hard work and thank you to roland for picking the wizard of oz i'm surprised it took 250 episodes to finally do it i know i said that before in the episode but like honestly this should have been episode three or one i don't know 
But I'm glad that it was picked and I'm glad that we finally got to do it. And I'm glad it was a big milestone effort. And this segues into me thanking everyone who was involved in today's episode. Um, So in alphabetical order, I'd like to thank Battles, Kendra Beltran, Cullen Callahan, Anthony Criswell, Joe Criswell, John Dossett, Rebecca Edmonds, Ashley Evans, Jim Evans. I don't think there's a relation between those two, but you never know. John Flynn, Alyssa Fox, Darius Fry, Dave Green, Stephen Hrubes, Kevin Jeezy, Matt Koplick, Mackenzie Kurtz, Jordan Litz, Caden Marshall, Kevin Massey, Edward Miskey, Jeff Ostermuller, Michelle Pock, Sierra Ryan, Jay Rowdybush, John Say, Tommy Schwanfelder, Shady, Hannah Sylvester, and Mary Williams. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who's participated in an episode of Life's But a Song. Honestly, this podcast cannot be done without you. And of course, thank you to to everyone who listens. I would love to hear from you, especially a movie like this. I feel like everyone has a story related to The Wizard of Oz. So with that, bye for now, everyone, and have a musical day. 